This is Abrupt Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. Each week, we feature conversations with experts in leadership, management, human resources, culture, and technology to help you succeed in this new normal. This is your host, Benoit Ardivalet. All right, everyone, and welcome to Abrupt Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. Uh, so this is my first episode out of beautiful Nice uh, in France, where I recently moved. And today I'm talking with someone who's far, far away from me in uh, Seattle. So we're meeting today with Graham Thornton. So Graham, welcome to Abrupt Future, and thanks for joining us. Ah, thank you for the invite. And I would, I would much rather be at least close to a beach in Nice, but, but Seattle, Seattle's a good second uh, backup plan for me. Sounds good. Well, maybe phase two will be a face-to-face meeting after all this uh, COVID madness is gone. Who knows? <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, live on, live on the beach from Nice. I think that's a good next, uh, good, good part too. I'll drink to that. So I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit because I think you have a very interesting background. We're talking today about talent acquisition and we'll go into a, a bit more details. But why don't you give us a little bit of a view of where you come from in this industry? And then the first topic I would like to tackle after that is going back in the past a little bit, 10, 15 years ago. Remind us again what it was like to apply for a job. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's great. So uh, a little bit about my background. You know, so I grew up, I like to say I grew up in town acquisition. You know, I spent a good 10, 12 years over uh, at Career Builder, which was one of the largest job boards. But what was interesting is the last half of my tenure there, we ran our solution architect group. And that team was responsible for buying and taking all of our pre-hire software to market. So as ATSs, CRMs, career sites, social referral tools, background checks, benefits administration. So anything in the pre-hire space, I was pretty intimately involved with. That got us very heavily involved in process optimization conversations and really focused on the technology side of talent acquisition. So a year and a half ago, I left with a good friend to start a company called ChainState. And at our core, we're a recruitment marketing agency. But we think we treat things a little bit different in the sense that my background is very heavy on the HR tech side. My co-founder spent 15 years in consumer brand research. And we think that you know your talent insights and your messaging and your HR technology stack is our two you know key pillars that really help support your recruitment marketing. So we're a recruitment marketing agency. We can buy job ads with the best of them. We do a great job at that. But we get most excited about our tech selection projects or talent insights work that really helps support a really cohesive and holistic recruitment marketing strategy. So awesome. hopefully that's a good overview, Benoit. <clears throat> Absolutely. Now let's go back in the past a little bit. Yeah, back in the time. All right. So yeah, before we talk about the future, We'll talk about the past. So it's interesting. I started a career builder back in 2007. And I think when I started, the, the job board market was was very different than it is today, right? So for those of you that knew career builder in, in the US, so we were owned by a bunch of uh, media conglomerates. So Gannett, McClatchy, Tribune, oddly enough, Microsoft actually um, owned a stake in career builder at that point too. But the reason that was important is you know, when you looked at you know talent acquisition and recruiting, these partnerships with career builder and, and ownerships with newspapers was super important because the new, newspapers were still a pretty important destination when it came to you know employment ads. 
So if you went to the Chicago Tribune and you wanted to place an ad in the Sunday paper, those Sunday paper ads for a job would automatically get posted online at uh, CareerBuilder. What's interesting about that is at no point did CareerBuilder really go out and, and try to become the number one destination job board. So the way these job boards would grow back in the day is they would go ahead and work through partnerships. So with CareerBuilder, and we were owned by all these newspaper partnerships, which is great for um, taking spend from actual newspapers and taking ads from newspapers. But what we also did is we would power job searches on a bunch of different websites. So partnerships like MSN. So if you checked your Hotmail back in the day and searched for careers, to Career Builders database without knowing it. Other big players like Yahoo Hot Jobs doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to, to know that Hot Jobs was actually powered by Yahoo. And if you went to Yahoo to check your mail in the morning, you know, that would uh, lead you to a search through Hot Jobs Jobs. So what's super interesting about the past is these you know, destination job boards were really evolving because of their you know, partnership network and trying to take those jobs to where people were actually searching. Funny enough, over the last couple of years, we've seen such an increase in Google as a, as a starting point for a job search. And I think that a lot of these job boards are forgetting about the partnership aspect to searching for jobs. Now you see all these job aggregators, and we've talked about this at length, that are popping up and scraping jobs from company career sites and fighting for real estate on Google, charging companies on a, on a cost per click basis that is really having a, we would consider a, a pretty, pretty profound impact on the candidate experience and searching for jobs. And I think people are forgetting about the value of job boards directing candidates directly into an applicant and into an ATS or directly into you know the applied path. So that's my philosophical belief on, on, on the way the job board market has evolved. I think if you talk about technology and, and, and where we're seeing tweaks on that side, the value has always been in getting candidates into a system. I think we're seeing more and more companies pop up that do a good job of, we'll call it pipeline management, right? We're seeing more and more you know companies that are doing a, that are spending their time and efforts on investing and technology to truly become a candidate nurturing tool. They recognized that 15 years ago, you weren't managing candidates in a CRM, but you were managing candidates in a Rolodex of contact information. And I think that we're going to see more and more of an impact on technology on how TA leaders are really building and structuring their recruitment teams and, and efforts. So I think it's fair to say that we, we brought all the principles of business development, of marketing, of customer relationship management, all these things that make commercial product very successful. We could probably summarize a lot of the last 10 years by saying we've been bringing more and more to that into the, the talent acquisition world. I think so. I think the best companies are doing that. But I think that we're still early in that process. And what I mean by that is some of our our favorite partners, favorite technologies are really taking a consumer lens to the recruitment process. So I think there's still a ways to go in really treating your recruitment marketing and your recruitment tech the way a consumer marketing strategy uh, would work. Funny enough, one of the biggest companies in the CRM type of space is actually out of Seattle. It's a company called Outreach. And they're a billion dollar valuation company. They're a true unicorn. And you know they came out of one of these tech incubators. I want to say it was Techstars. Don't quote me. Well, we are quoting me on that. But Techstars out in Seattle and they were originally a Salesforce plugin, and their you know core mission was, hey, for recruiting, someone needs to do a better job of automatically scheduling, nurturing candidates, and driving potential candidates into various.
various stages in your CRM, right? So like, how do you, if a candidate is interested, how do you go out and proactively pull candidates in? If someone leaves their information in a talent network, what do you do with it? So that was the original value prop of outreach is, is really taking a step forward and taking consumer consumer trends or con- consumer tips to a managing a CRM and bring it into recruitment. Funny enough, no one wanted to buy that seven years ago. So they pivoted and they said, what? There's always going to be a need for sales. We're going to go ahead and uh, turn this into a sales uh, CRM plugin. And now they're a billion dollar company. So I think that there's still room to grow and still room to move the needle forward on the recruitment side. But we do definitely think that the best the best companies are really keeping a keen eye on what is going on in the consumer space and using that to drive their strategy. Yeah, because let, let's face it, it's still a bit clunky or not always a great experience when you have to go to different website and you're being forwarded to something that always surprised me. It's the amount of nondescript, unknown, some kind of job boards that bring you from Google job to some kind of platforms. And then you're supposed to apply on the company's website, but then you get lost in some kind of vortex of links. So to me, there's a very funny experience here that I would not see in the consumer world, right? If you Google something, you want to buy it, you go straight to it. You can be sure that one of the online vendors will grab you and get you to pay for it. I found that if you apply or try to apply, you can go down in all kind of weird places. And I don't know if it's just me or or (laughs) it's more of an old statement. No, I think that I think that that's spot on. And the analogy that I always give is if I wanted to buy a billboard on the side of the highway out here that said, hey, we're hiring for Amazon text, you know, or call here, right? And give them my personal cell phone or, or, or my number. Like no one would let me put that billboard up unless Amazon gave me permission, right? You'd have to have an agency agreement. You'd have to like have in writing and Amazon would have to say, well, we work with Graham, we work with Chain State. They can advertise on my behalf. And that same sort of protection does not exist today largely with these job aggregators. And Google has made it super easy for anyone to go ahead and pull jobs off of a company career site and align those jobs in a certain structured way that Google for Jobs likes to consume. And then you can put those jobs right on Google. And you read any stats, 70, 80%, a lot of job searches start on Google. There can be some more controls put in place over permissions for who can advertise on behalf of a company. And none of that would fly in, in the consumer space, right? I couldn't I couldn't put up a billboard. I couldn't start advertising and trying to capture candidate information or consumer information under the guise of, hey, I'm trying to sell a Kindle or an Apple iPhone, right? Like that sort of environment does not exist in consumer because they pay a little bit more attention. And I think that we can do a better job in recruiting to try to clean some of that stuff up. But I think the first first step there is just acknowledging that it's a problem. As a as a TA leader, go through the process of applying and you know, we play whack-a-mole with these job boards all the time, with these job aggregators for our clients because it is easy for better or for worse to 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 put jobs up on behalf of companies without their permission. Yeah, for sure. And it, it's always a telling moment when you see an executive, an HR executive going through her own or his own uh, apply process and, and realize the, the different hiccups uh, on the road. My next question is thinking about a, a very specific problem we have these days in, in, in this world recruitment, I found, well, two types of problem. There's a g- general problem that there's just a lot of information out there, a lot of website, a lot of job, a lot of people, big volume of information. How do you as an employer trying to brand yourself, how do you stand 
doubt. And then you have the related problem of some great companies, big companies, household name, everybody will want to apply for a job there and that's fine. But when you're not the most known company, again, how do you stand out with all of that marketing budget, all that loads of information online? And how can you reach your candidate and, and basically cut through all that noise? Yeah, well, I, I think that there's a few things that you know kind of come into play there, right? So there will always be companies that are loud, that have larger recruiting um, teams, larger recruiting budgets that you know, you're always going to be able to compete with, or that you're always going to be competing with. I think the the opportunity to differentiate right now is is really in messaging and having systems in place to understand who you should be reaching out to, right? And so what I mean by that is most, rec- many companies are still reliant on their marketing teams, their t- TA teams to send mass emails to people that are in a CRM or talent community to try and drive interest. And an end goal of, hey, let's let's email these 60 people and have them apply to a job. And that's when a recruiter gets involved. I think the smartest companies have much more visibility into an actual candidate or lead, right? So when you talk about standing out, like I think that means a few different things, right? So first, you need to be able to figure out which candidates or which leads are actually engaging with your brand and your company. So the best CRMs, the best tools that are out there can help you understand that, boy, if Benoit has come to my site and done research on benefits about my company, or Benoit has you know, come to my site and he's gotten three pages deep in an application process for a program manager role, or maybe you are maybe you were engaging with some of their content on you know, LinkedIn or or Glassdoor versus a candidate like me, or maybe I know nothing about your organization, but I'm still in your CRM because at one point you ca- you copied my email and my information. So I think the best companies when it comes to stand out are understanding which candidates are most active within their you know, respective ecosystem. And the smarter companies are doing a really good job of prioritizing their outreach to candidates that are warm or engaged or more engaged with their brand. So I think that's one piece. I think the other piece that's important is you can only stand out if what your company is good at, and that's how your message needs to become much more effective. So you know, we do a lot of work in Talent Insights, and that starts with, hey, understanding if um, I'm an organization, I'm competing with an Amazon, or I'm competing with another industry, another company in my industry. What are you good at? What are you not good at? So we do a lot of building of talent personas. And like what you want to understand is, hey, of, of my brand attributes that my employees think I'm good at, maybe it's work-life balance, maybe it's opportunities for advancement, right? Maybe it's training and development. We may say that we're good at something, but do you, does your current employee base believe it, right? Or is it actually true? And how do you make sure that you're doing a good job of matching what you're good at and what the target talent actually wants? So it's one thing to stand out and talk about comp, but what you really want to do is figure out from my messaging, are we good at A, B, and C attributes? And can we lead with that knowing that, hey, this is something that we're good at. This is something that our target talent cares about. This is something that if someone joins an organization, it will help them stay long. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's 
you know, reminding people to go back to their basics, like who you are, what do you have to offer, know your audience and, and try to court them, right? Because the, the last thing you want to see is another generic value proposition with generic stock photos and join us and for a world of opportunity. Well, who doesn't, right? Who isn't interested by opportunity? What exactly are you offering me, right? Just like we're becoming very peculiar in how we consume, it's even more important for how we shop, so to speak, for our jobs. Yeah, I think that's that's spot on. And I would say like every organization cares about their people, right? Like you go on your website and you won't find one organization that says, hey, we don't care about our people or people are our most valuable asset or some version of that story. It really comes in tune. And we had a great conversation with a guy named James Ellis over, over here. And he said, hey, like you are what you reward, right? And I think that phrase really you know, stands out, especially now. And you know, if you want to stand out as an organization, yeah, you can say, you can put a pretty face on the career site, but the proof is going to be when people work for your organization too. And so it isn't just about marketing, getting more applications. It's you know about matching your experience as an actual employee to what your public facing message is too. Because if there's a mismatch in those pieces, you're going to have problems at a different, in a, in a different um, you know, layer of that employee journey. And sure, you can you can hire more people, but if you don't figure out why people stay and why people like working for you, and it's if it's not authentic, and if you're rewarding the wrong things, then you're really just kicking the problem a little bit further down um, the path, and that's that's a problem the companies you know don't want to have as well, right? So you don't want to just move one you know challenge where hey we need more applicants or we need more brand awareness, and then end up pushing that three months down the road where you onboard someone and what they see at the organization doesn't match what they were sold during the application or, or interview process. And I think there's also the the other side of the, the problem, right? So on the recruitment, sourcing, selection side, we made applying to a job, despite what we said about the, the candidate experience that can be a bit broken here and there, in the end, it's relatively easy these days to apply for any job, right? Anybody with a computer and an internet connection can apply to hundreds of jobs every day. And so it means if you're a talent acquisition function, you receive gazillions of resumes every day and application and so on. Have you seen, what have you seen that's most interesting these days to help recruitment leaders really, again, to focus on the the right one, the right people, make sure that you spend time where it matters and that you really hire quality talent, but also create that good candidate experience? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think we're seeing, we are seeing a lot more tools you really focusing on the screening and selection side as it relates to removing bias, right? And one of one of our episodes that we just published on, on one of our podcasts was was really around like, hey, like bias at different phases of the selection process, right? And maybe it's using tools to rewrite job descriptions to understand that boy, maybe my language is more tilted towards attracting males and it versus attracting females, right? Maybe it's bias in the interview process where there are certain you know demographics that are poor video interviews. Video interviews are inherently bias against uh, people that are blind, right? Or certain interviews that are types of interviews that if you perform poorly at a, at a Zoom interview and you're a developer, is that really an indication of the quality of 
potential candidate you are? Probably not. And then it's things like, oh, our bias with years of experience, right? Like, is there really a correlation between having five years of experience for a program manager role versus three years of experience? And many cases, the answer is no, right? So what we're seeing tools do is really sort of attempt to, you know, remove remove bias in that selection process, right? And helping understand, hey, which are things that have historically been used as decision uh, making tools or prioritization tools for candidates, and are they relevant today? You know, so I think the years of experience is 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 a great example, right? Like, does years of experience five years versus seven years really correlate to job success? And if it doesn't, you know, then why is that something that you're using to stack rank candidates or decide on whether you want to bring people in for an interview? So I think the more the more we look at different layers of the funnel or the hiring process, the more opportunities they are to help in that selection piece. I think everyone gets a little bit worked up about where you use AI and machine learning in the process. And I think the reality is there are a lot of opportunities to use automation in the hiring process just to remove people from the equation where you don't care if uh, you're talking to a person. And maybe that's something as simple as you know scheduling your second interview, You know, using automation, using AI to actually smartly schedule your next interview. No one cares. No, no candidate cares if they talk to a human on the phone to schedule their second interview. So you could use tools for that, right? So it's all about figuring out what pieces of the process candidates are getting stuck, removing bias in you know, the screening piece or like helping on the automation side to move candidates through certain phases faster. And with more people in the market, that's, that's where companies really need to, you know, really need to be focused. Yeah, interestingly, I was reading an article on um, the use of AI in marketing, and they were finding that users will respond well to AI if the AI is advising on functional or tactical or utilitarian metrics, right? Which, which one is cheaper? Which one is faster if you have to make a choice? And that's great. Where people are typically less willing to have advice from an AI will be whenever we, we think more along experiential line, right? You're going to like it. It's going to be a good experience. All of these intangible, we, we can't picture technology doing that well, but we can picture technology calculating things, crunching numbers. And it seems like as long as we stay in this area, we get people comfortable and we're not challenging the role of the recruiter to the contrary. We're augmenting, evolving, improving that that role, elevating really that function so that they can focus on what humans are, are doing well, communicating, engaging, and so on. 100% accurate. And you know, there was an article a couple of weeks ago on a gentleman that went through the Amazon hiring process for a role of a, as a package handler, I think, at a fulfillment center. And I think the headline was, I got a job at Amazon without ever talking to a human. And it was most, it was kind of true, but Amazon does a great job on automation in areas where you can automate. So in that case, hey, you apply for a job. And what happens next? Well, hey, you need to go through our assessments, right? And you can automatically send this candidate the assessment. If you don't complete the assessment, we can send a reminder or remind someone that, hey, this is the first step in our process. We're hiring these shifts. You need to take the assessment. Then, hey, like you can take an assessment if you pass it, which in this case was... I think it was color-coded, maxing color-coded boxes together on shelves, virtually, obviously, matching numbers together, moving things around by weight. So again, trying to simulate pieces that you would do as a package handler. 
you pass the assessment, then it's great. Hey, we can automatically schedule you to come in and ironically actually meet with someone because you do meet with a human before you get hired. And hey, like those first three or four steps in the process, they're all handled by by automation and by technology. So what happens with a candidate if they pass through the assessment piece, which is great. You don't, you're not applying with a resume anymore, which you can walk down that path a little bit later. If you pass through their assessment process, you can self-schedule to come in and meet with people, meet with your potential leader at the fulfillment center and get hired. So you know, I think it's automation of the right pieces, but Amazon is never going to run that same process to hire an engineer, right? Like I've walked through the Amazon interview process and it, it, they're not automating any of that. You couldn't do that without people. So it's automating the right pieces based on the needs of the business. Yeah. And, and there's probably also a ratio of the volume of hiring, the scarcity of that talent level in the organization, the, the specificity of the skills, the, the difficulty to assess, right? In the end, we're, we're, we're going to need humans to, to ponder all that together and, and really allocate the AI or the technology to some places and take the rest for us. Really. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's, that's where we see the biggest mistake with, with companies looking, looking to tweak their TA processes, right? So I think that most companies or many companies, for better or for worse, start out with, hey, we need a new ATS or, hey, we need a chatbot or we need a new events tool, right? And starting with what you need is, is, was, is not necessarily the best best way to approach solving a problem in, in the TA world, right? Like, you, know, you want to start with what the problems are. And you know, ironically, many times, systems that a, a company has purchased can can solve these problems that, the, that they're trying to solve by buying or bolting on another tool. So I think that's, that's another piece. Like, you can't start with a firm solution in mind. Otherwise, again, you're already, you know, you're, you're already starting on some, with some level of bias, understanding that, hey, if you start out trying to solve a problem in your hiring process and you think, what, the only way to solve this is by buying a chatbot? You're going to walk down that path of considering chatbots when maybe you should step back and figure out what problem you're trying to solve. And I, and I was meaning also to to ask you a little bit in this vein. So clearly, if we start, you know, focusing maybe on, on technology rather than outcome, it's going to lead us to some errors or you know a torturous path. In your experience, what else have you seen in terms of, of mistakes or wrong way to go about? improving the, the talent acquisition process. Do you have any other example that comes to mind? Yeah. So we do a lot of work with, with high volume clients, right? We do a lot of work with BPOs. And I think that many clients default to, we need more candidates as the, the solution to a problem. And a lot of times that, that isn't the case. You need to better manage the candidates that either you've already paid for. Maybe there are a million candidates in an ATS that you have, right? Maybe there's people that you engage with that ended up being silver medalists for whatever reason, right? COVID hit. A lot of companies paused hiring in March. There were probably a lot of candidates that were down the line and made it past screening, first interviews, second interviews, all the way to offers when things got paused. Like, are you going back to use the candidates that you've already paid for? And a lot of times the answer is no. And then, hey, do we always need more candidates? Perfect example is in the RPO space, in the high volume space, a lot of these organizations are in small towns, right? And 
you're not going to wake up. I, I lived in Laporte, Indiana, right? Laporte, Indiana is population 19,000. A hundred years ago, they were population 20,000, right? You're not, if you had a, if you had a call center in Laporte, Indiana, you're not going to wake up in a month from now and be able to find a thousand new potential candidates in Laporte. Like it's good. I can guarantee you that in a year from now, there's going to be 19,000 people in Laporte. So if, if your only solution that you're working on is throwing more money at advertising, you're not going to mysteriously create uh, new candidates. So I think understanding the data, understanding what a workforce looks like is really an important first step that a lot of companies don't even look at. Maybe it's maybe it's understanding, hey, how many people in the report actually fit a profile or have a skill set that you could hire for customer service? And 19,000 people, that might be about 3,000 people, right? Like in that case, you know, if you tell us that we need, uh, we need to see 200 applications a week to be able to fill our hiring classes, well, boy, like that means you need everyone that could possibly work in that job in Laporte, Indiana to apply. And you're going to run out of that whole, you're going to have contact information um, and applications from the whole talent pool in three months. And in month four, what are you going to do? So I think so many times companies forget to look at, hey, what is current state? What does the market even support? How do we pivot our strategy to you know get beyond just advertising and trying to add more candidates in the funnel? Because now more than ever, you're not waking up with more candidates that are on the market all the time. And I think that that's, that's the piece that the companies are are often forgetting about. And we would like to thank the people from Laporte, Indiana, who might be listening right now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I would love to would love to hear some more people from Laporte. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they, they might there might not be too many people out, but we'll see. But hey, that's my French for the day, actually. Laporte is the door in, in French, right? So uh, Laporte, Indiana was the door to the Midwest. And in, in 1900, it was population 20,000. Everyone was stopping in Laporte, Indiana on their way out. And in 2000, the population was 19,000 people. So not many people. It was a revolving door. A lot of people just went straight on through and continued on to the continued west. Hey, who said you can learn good things in, on podcasts, you know? Right. <laughs> that's that's good. So that'll come in handy in trivia night for sure. <laughs> Um, now, one last look. Now, let's think about the future. Obviously, we're in the middle of COVID for God knows how long. Digitization is not going to stop to the contrary. There's just more and more AI system, online system, portals and data. Where do you see talent acquisition going for the next few years? We've we've really been been hitting on what we would consider. I think the, the phrase that we've heard some of our partners use that we love is just the candidate nurturing side of the business, right? And we're at a point where it is pretty easy, or at least you have a good opportunity to get contact information or, or, or details on most potential candidates and leads. So the important piece is going to be, how do you take a step forward in marketing and recruitment marketing more specifically to make sure that when you identify, hey, Benoit is an engineer that I know fits a profile candidate that we might be able, might, might be interested in hiring. Well, you're not going to make a decision tomorrow to up and apply for a job and, and move on to the next piece. So it's the, hey, what is, how do we help facilitate that six month journey of awareness through to hire for candidates? And not only how do you facilitate that journey on the candidate side, but how do you understand where you are in that journey, where your candidates are, right? Are these candidates that have no idea um, about your organization? Are these candidates that have some level of awareness? So I think that the, the smartest TA organizations are taking an approach much like consumer. And that's, hey, what is my total addressable market, right? How many engineers exist? 
or how many people of our particular profile exist? How many of those particular profiles do I actually have, right? And then how am I engaging with those candidates to tell them more about our organization, what we do differently? And how can I understand, oh, where are they in that candidate life cycle? Have they ever read a piece of content for us, right? I think that that's the piece that the smartest organizations are starting to learn. And if you look at the consumer side, like if I go on to you know, any website today and say I wanted to go buy a new t-shirt, if I don't buy it, next time I log on to Instagram, there's you know a good chance that whatever that brand is, whatever that company is, is going to have an ad that pops up in my Instagram feed. And like it's that same sort of mentality and mindset that like we see the best and smartest talent acquisition teams going towards, right? Like thinking like consumer marketing um, and understanding that, hey, what is the total addressable market for talent? And how can we interact and engage with those folks in a, in a smart and responsible way? Because there's, for better or for worse, there's, there's a handful of job boards out there today. And those triggers are important. A trigger being someone applies for a job that they're interested. How can you figure out what other triggers there are or what other activity metrics there are on candidates that um, are indications of, of interest? And so I, that's where I think talent acquisition teams are going. Oh, fantastic. And my last question for you, where can we learn more about your work, your thoughts? I know you also have a podcast. So where should we go? Yeah, sure. You know, easiest place is our website. Check us out at changestate.io. We write all of our own original content on our blog. We have our own weekly podcast. I think we're about 21 episodes in there. And yeah, we think that that's, that's where talent acquisition needs to, to go. Like There needs to be better sharing of what people are doing that works. And we're super excited that like, hey, like the best, best recruiting teams are getting beyond just posting jobs, which, yeah, that's something that we have to be good at. But we like talking about what's new, right? We like talking about technology. We like talking about process optimization. So all that stuff is, is very heavily on our, on our blog and in our podcast. And you, know, you can always connect to me on LinkedIn, Grant Thornton, and it should be easy to find. Awesome. So we'll make sure all these links are in uh, the podcast notes. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I think it was a great conversation. Uh, thank you, Benoit. Appreciate you having me on and look forward to a round two over somewhere in the south of France. Yes, let's do that. Oui, oui, oui. Oui, oui, oui. Perfect. This was Abrupt Future. I hope you learned something valuable. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and any feedback or rating is greatly appreciated. On LinkedIn and in real life, my name is Benoit Hardy Valley and I thank you for your time.